you would, please open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 67 through 79, but the portion that we'll spend our time in this morning will be the last four verses of this section. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let us pray. Father God, we come this morning to your word, acknowledging that we, even though have being recipients of your peace, still need peace, and this world needs peace. May you fix our eyes to Jesus Christ, the one who has brought peace from heaven. May we see him in all his glory this morning as we open your word. May you revive us, may you nourish us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was around five years old, I got lost. The kind of lost I'm talking about is not in the grocery store where mom is in aisle three and kid is in aisle two and eventually they meet. Neither is it in the middle of the woods, in the darkness where you have no idea where you are, how you got there, or how to get home. No, I was lost at the Harleysville Fair. My hometown fair held each and every Memorial Day weekend in the community pool parking lot. This specific location was a common place that my family spent throughout the, throughout the summer months. We literally lived in that place. On this particular visit, our family was enjoying the sights, the sounds, the food of the fair. It was a typical afternoon of family fun at the fair. But all the fun stopped when I stopped to wave to a friend who I happened to see across the way in the crowd. Because it was in that moment that I stopped that another crowd cut off the path between myself and my family. I was stranded. My normally easy to find father standing at six foot two was no longer easy to find in a crowd of other tall men. My mother's voice, very distinguished, very clear, was now drowned out by the noises of the crowds, the rides, the bells and the whistles. And so, like any curious five-year-old would, I walked, not in any particular direction. I followed the crowd sometimes, I followed my own feet at other times. If I wanted to watch a particular carnival game, I did just that. If I wanted to stop and see a ride up close, I did just that. 
If I wanted to simply look at the lights in all their bright, glorious fashion, I stopped and looked at the lights. I even waved at familiar faces as I was wandering about, lost, at the fair, not even thinking twice that my family was no longer in front, behind, or around me. I was lost without any awareness that I was lost. I can only imagine the awareness that my family had when they realized Derek is no longer with us, especially my poor mom. What I took as a brief moment of a free stroll was probably an eternity of anguish for her. Honestly, I'm not even sure that my lostness truly sunk in until after I had been found and reunited with my family. Which that happened in a kind of a, a sequence of two back-to-back -back scenarios. The first was there was an announcement over the fair's PA system. Would Derek Coyle please report to, I don't remember where it was I was supposed to report to, immediately. It was at that moment where I realized, oh, I think my family is looking for me. The second was the moment that I heard my name over the loudspeaker, the crowds that were in front of me blocking the path seemed to magically separate, and there stood a familiar face, a man moving in my direction. The sight of my dad revealed to me that the way had been found. He picked me up, carried me back to my family, especially my crying mother. Naturally then, I cried too, probably a mix of seeing how upset she was and also finally realizing, oh dear, I was lost. As Zachariah sings this song in Luke chapter 1, Israel is lost. Earlier, Bill read from Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 8. Sin has made a separation, Isaiah says, between God and the people. The path that they walk on is a path of hopelessness, a path of wandering. The nation and its people do not have peace. They do not know peace. Now, peace, according to the Old Testament, means wholeness which can only come as God's people are united to in harmony with him. Israel needs peace, but they have no clue how to get it. Their blinded eyes and their darkened hearts have made peace altogether impossible. In a way, they're not all that different from a five-year-old walking the fairgrounds in Harleysville, Pennsylvania. They are oblivious to their condition. They think they're fine. They are ignorant to the lack of peace that is absent between God and themselves. And so Zechariah's prophecy comes to announce that peace, peace between God and man has come. The path to it is prepared, it is paved. God himself will visit his people to restore them and bring them peace. The close of this song, these last four verses, which we will look at, declare that Jesus Christ has come bringing peace with God for lost sinners. The passage, the end of this song, reveals how this peace will come. First, we'll see that the peace will come through the proclamation of peace. 
And then we will see how there, it will come in the pathway to peace. Two points, the proclamation of peace and the pathway of peace. Hopefully, I pray that as we look at this passage, we would be filled with joy like Zechariah. This is a song of joy as we consider, rest in, and celebrate the peace of God that has been brought by Jesus Christ for those who were once lost. This section of the hymn, though, starts with the proclamation of peace. Before peace arrives in the person of Jesus Christ, it is announced in the arrival and the ministry of Zechariah's son of promise. The story of my being found unfolded in a similar fashion. There was an announcement immediately before the crowds parted and my father stood in front of me. While the flow from John to Jesus won't be such an immediate boom-boom situation, there will first be an announcement of the message of heaven's peace. Zechariah, after singing to God for his faithfulness, he speaks about the child that he is likely in this moment holding in his arms. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Last week, we saw how Mary's promised son, being called Son of the Most High, put him in a unique position and category. John is not on the same level, but he's in a similar level in terms of being in a unique position as prophet of the Most High. No other prophet in scripture held this title, not Moses, not Elijah, or any who would come after. And what is more, we'll see that John has a very specific role to play in the coming of peace and salvation. He is going to prepare the way for the one who's bringing peace, the Lord himself. John, the prophet of the Most High, will prepare the way for Jesus, the Son of the Most High. I don't know how many of you are familiar with or have been on Canis Road, this side of Chennault, but it is in the midst of a very massive reconstruction project. I live on that side, so I've seen its progress day in and day out. From what I understand, the plan is to widen it from two lanes to four lanes. But before this could happen, there need to be some extensive preparations. The list of things, I don't know what they are exactly, but I can imagine it was exhaustive. Trees needed to be removed, some of them very large and very old. Roads needed to be closed and established that they were closed so we don't have cars running off the road into ditches. Huge holes needed to be dug, to be dug, and then bigger piping needed to be laid into those huge holes. And then those huge holes needed to be covered over with dirt. As of today, those preparations are still being made. The road is not ready, and it would not be ready if they, those things didn't happen. Yes, these things are tedious. They're complicating traffic on Canis Road if you've been on it, but they are necessary for this four-lane highway that's about to be put in. If Jesus is the paved way to peace, then John enters as the necessary preparations for this way. The prophet foretold this in Isaiah 40, where he said, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. 
Later on, Malachi, even more specifically, who I think Zechariah is quoting, would say, Behold, I send my messenger before you, and he will prepare the way. John is preparing the way of peace. And as we saw earlier, the people of Israel desperately need his ministry. Looking back to Isaiah 59, their roads, their ways are marked by destruction, desolation, and crookedness. John the Baptist enters in as kind of a one-man wrecking crew, come to clear the debris, to detonate the boulders that are standing in the way of peace between God and his people. And exactly how he's about to do this is revealed as Zechariah continues in his song. He says, you child are going to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. John proclaims that peace and salvation is coming through forgiveness. He declares what it is that Israel truly needs to have peace with God. Now, I was not ultimately lost at the fair because of my sin. Now, I will admit, as a five-year-old, maybe there was some deep-seated rebellion that I just felt the need to, to run away. I don't think that was the case. If anything, I was guilty of simply being too easily distracted, which I'm still guilty of that at times today. The people of God are lost and separated by their sin, as Bill read earlier from Isaiah 59, where the prophet says specifically, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Israel is deep in sin, lost by nature and choice. There is no peace between them and God because they have turned their backs on him in pursuit of what they want, what they desire, what they think will lead to true and lasting peace. And over and over again, they have made it very clear to their covenant Lord, they want the blessings of the covenant without the stipulations. Or to use Christmas terms, they want the gift, but not the giver. And the same is true for us in the world in which we live. Peace on earth is lacking because peace between man and God is absent. Sin has made a separation, one that is not so easily fixed. There must be forgiveness. One scholar in talking about this passage writes, forgiveness of sins is the precondition for peace with God. Something has to be done to deal with this massive and unpayable debt that man owes God for his open rebellion and hostility and hatred. John would make the need for forgiveness abundantly clear. That was his ministry, to point it out. And as he got older, we see this is exactly what he would do. In Luke chapter 3, he would come, as Luke says, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John made people aware, sometimes painfully so, of their sin. The words of his speeches would likely not fly in our day. He called out sin for what it was. He warned of judgment that was coming. He called people to repent, which Jesus would also preach as he began his ministry. 
And John's baptism would tangibly picture the need for cleansing, renewal, and washing. A baptism that Jesus, another baptism that Jesus would bring, the baptism of his Holy Spirit. John ultimately paved the way by pointing people to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because it would be the Lamb, not John himself, who would bring peace and salvation. As we stand here this morning, we are not John the Baptist. We don't stand where he stood. His ministry was unique. He went before the Lord to prepare the way, to proclaim peace, to announce it. We will never stand in that unique of a position because Christ's first advent will not happen again. And as we will see in a moment, he has come and he has paved the way for peace. However, we do stand in a unique position of our own. A second advent is coming. Christ will return with the fullness of his kingdom in stow. But he's not coming in humiliation. He's coming in exaltation. He's coming as king and judge. So like John, we need to proclaim peace. To herald the message of salvation that comes through the forgiveness of sins. We declare that there is an invitation extended to all that peace with God is available to all who come to him through Christ. And this, like John, might require us to get a little bit uncomfortable. Lost in sin are not words our our world likes to hear or embrace. The reality of sin or a moral evil that is defined and set as standard by God is not going to be appreciated. But the reality is sin, no matter how small or minor it may seem, is real. It deserves judgment. It has separated us from our creator. And it will keep us separated from him for all eternity. But there is forgiveness. And that's the message that we proclaim. There can be peace. Because whether we are aware of it or not, whether they are aware of it or not, people are looking for peace. They want so desperately for somewhere to go with their sense of sin and shame. And the avenues they are are looking at, the avenues that they are searching for, the pathways that they are on are not bringing it. If anything, it's only leading to more sin and more shame. So let us faithfully, like John, proclaim that forgiveness is offered. Because we are the ones, we know what it's like, we've received it. And that to those who will repent, Christ will extend forgiveness. Salvation, peace will be established. Whether it is at Christmas time or any other time of the year, We are called to proclaim such a message, the message of peace, to announce its coming. But Zechariah moves from the proclamation of peace into the pathway to peace. He makes it clear where this peace will be found. How will it arrive? As great as John would be, the one coming after him, the one John would prepare the way for, would be the one to pave the way for peace between God and man. He would make it fixed, make it certain. As one commentator stated it succinctly, John will proclaim salvation, 
but Jesus can take them into it. Back to my story about being lost. This is the moment when the pathway cleared and there stood my dad. Maybe he yelled something, I don't know, or maybe it was just a natural break in the crowd. But whatever the case was, the the way to peace, the way to restoration with my family was made abundantly clear. It lay before me. Better yet, this is the end game to what is going on on Canis Road. All the preparation that is being done is going to lead to a four-lane highway where a two-lane one used to be. Peace will be in the form of a paved, smooth road from Bowman all the way to Chennault. Though I must say a four-lane road makes my running route a little bit less peaceful. Crossing over two highway, two lanes is a, a lot more peaceful than crossing over four. Uh, it might be more like playing Frogger for those who have just dated myself. But this is the true reason why Zachariah is singing this hymn with such joyful exuberance and celebration. He's actually announcing that the arrival of this Messiah trumps even the arrival of the baby of promise he is holding in his arms. The baby that he and his wife have longed for, prayed for, so desperately hoped for. The coming of the Messiah dwarfs the baby in his arms. He sings, as he says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. We saw last week in Gabriel's announcement to Mary that the coming of Jesus was a tangible evidence of God's kindness. The child of Mary would come to save, as his name suggests. Zechariah's song, in a way, doubles down on this kindness. Everything that is unfolding, the arrival of John, The promise of the Messiah is motivated by God's tender mercy, his deep compassion for his people. No, God is not coming in anger, but with the tenderness and the compassion of a father for his children. His children have not changed, though. They're still lost. They're still wandering in sin. But still, the promised one is coming. He's bringing peace. Now, sunrise shall visit is a, is a unique phrase. It's messianic as it, as it ties back to verse 68 and verses 69, where Zechariah has said the Lord's coming to visit, to raise up a horn of salvation through David. The Greek word literally means arising. And the Hebrew equivalent is varied, but it has really significant prophetic meaning to it. It's found in Numbers 24, 17, where Balaam prophesies that a star, the same word, shall come out of Jacob. And it's also found in the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Zechariah to talk about the shoot or the branch of Jesse. And so we see in this song that there's a combination of these two ideas. The Messiah is both the king of God's people and the light of Revealing the way to salvation. But in this context, the emphasis seems to be of Zechariah, of the heavenly light. Like the morning sun that shines over every square inch of creation each and every morning, God was about to visit his people and bring light, the light of heaven. 
We see this as Zechariah rejoices over the purposes of the coming of this light. It's coming for reasons greater than simply to shine or to make a display of greatness. It has work to do. It has a mission to accomplish. It will most certainly shine, as he says, to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death. Shining is a natural part of light being light. And once again, we're pointed back to the, to the passage that the Sanders family read from Isaiah chapter 9. Those people who dwelt, who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. The depths of Israel's lostness is exposed even more here. They're in darkness and shadow. At the earliest level of instruction in science, we are taught that darkness is the absence of light. Thankfully, there are very few times where we truly experience the absence of light. But the truth is, even the slightest bit of darkness can be disorienting. After saying I never would, I have become one of those parents who checks on their kids every night before I go to bed. I sneak into their room, I peek in on them, make sure they're covered, they're warm, and everything that's needed to be for a good night of sleep. But before I go in, I need to prepare myself for the darkness that I'm about to enter into. Because if I don't, I'm disoriented. And instead of checking in on peaceful kids sleeping, I wake kids up from peaceful sleeping. And I have done that. But full and deep darkness is a lot more than just a little bit disorienting. It is scary. It's oppressive if you've ever experienced it. It has this sinking, this weighty feeling to it. This is the kind of darkness that is emphasized in Zechariah's song. Israel is oppressed. They're suffering physically. As a nation, they have no righteousness, justice, peace under Roman rule. Life is very similar to what it was back in Egypt. But Israel, more so than physically, is suffering spiritually. Their oppression is spiritual. They lack righteousness, justice, and peace because of their sin. They're in bondage, blind and ignorant to the ways of God, and death is a very real threat. We sang about it moments ago, O come thou day spring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadow put to flight. The light of heaven's Messiah is going to shine into this condition of darkness and shadow and heaviness and oppression. It will bring light where there is none. It will illuminate the path to restoration, reconciliation, the pathway to peace. And if that isn't enough, the Messiah himself is going to guide them into this path, which is also natural part of light. Isaiah says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We know that light enables us to see where we are going and to see where we don't want to go. Again, as a parent of, of small children, I know how dangerous it can be to walk around in the dark without a light on. There are toys on the floor, clothes on the floor that are just waiting for me to slip, to stumble, to trip, and to fall. I need a light to guide me 
if you will, to the pathway of peace wherever it is that I'm going. The light of the Messiah, though, is not simply like a flashlight. It is going to guide, but it's also going to lead and take people into the path. Because the path itself is going to be what reconciles us, what makes peace between God and man. It's going to take people out of the darkness and put them into the light. And notice how Zechariah, who himself is called righteous before God back in verse 6 of chapter 1, throws himself into this mix of being lost and miserable. He understands that he needs guidance in the way of salvation, just as much as the people do. We see that Jesus came not only to shine and to reveal the darkness of our own hearts and the darkness of the world in which we live, but neither did he come just to tell us the direction that we needed to go. He's not one of those guys at the airport with flashlights and bright, shiny clothes that tell the planes, this is the way you need to land. Because if all he did was point us in the direction, we would still be lacking in peace. We would still be sitting in darkness. Death would still continue to cast its dark shadow over each and every step that we take. No, Jesus came to do all those things and to take us by the hand and lead us into the pathway of peace. He blazed the path by his perfect obedience. He cemented it firm and fixed by his sacrificial death on the cross, whereby the penalty for our sin, that which made a separation between us and God, would be made clear and there would be eternal and lasting peace. And he would remove the darkness of shadow and death by rising over it in triumph when he walked away from the empty tomb, so that all those who would trust and rest in him would have the same hope. This is peace. This is salvation. It cannot be found in any other place. It cannot be secured by anyone else. And brothers and sisters, for us in Christ this morning, the truth is we have peace with God. And this should fill our hearts with joy to sing as we just did, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come with great gladness. Zechariah could not contain his joy at the coming of peace with just the announcement of its coming. How much more should it be for us? We are standing in the wake of it. This world, like Israel, is sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. Many of those whom we love, whom we work with, whom we engage with on a daily basis are in that mix. They're longing for, they're hoping for peace, for restoration. And sadly, they think that it will come if everyone would simply learn to play a little bit nicer with one another. Or if we tolerate one another just a little bit more. What if we'd be just a little bit kinder? If the spirit of Christmas would last 365 days. And while these may certainly help, they're not going to make for peace. Following that path is ultimately a dead end. And so more than just at Advent, people need to hear the church as a corporate body and as individuals rejoicing and proclaiming the pathway to peace is found, it's blazed, it's paved through Jesus Christ. 
Peace is not a pipe dream. It's a certain reality fixed by Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. And for those who may be sitting in darkness, maybe here this morning or chiming in through the live stream, whether you are aware of your darkness or not, the Lord invites you to come out of the darkness, to come into his light, to know and experience the peace of God established by his son. Because Jesus Christ, as we're going to celebrate in a moment at the table, he forgives sin no matter the size of it, the scope of it, the shape, the scale. He has made peace between God and sinners. May we turn to the light in faith and allow him to lead you. And to the rest of us, may we be faithful to live in light of the peace that Christ has secured. It is a certain fixed reality today. Rejoice in it. Know that even when you sin, yes, confess of it, repent of it, but you are still at peace with God through Jesus Christ and your union to him by faith. His mercy for you is daily, it is abundant, and it is certain. Your feet because Jesus Christ has placed you there, are on the pathway to peace because you are united to him. And your Savior will keep you on that path by his grace. Follow his lead. As my five-year-old self walked those familiar fairgrounds, I had no clue that something was off. Maybe it is why I can look back to such a potentially traumatizing event and not be so traumatized by it. This, however, did not take, does not take away from the simple fact that I was lost. I did not know the way to peace, to restoration with my family. My aimless wandering proved as much to be true. If it were not for the PA announcer and my dad looking for me and the efforts of my family, who knows how this particular event could have played out. I think my mother still has nightmares of how it could have played out. As peace was proclaimed and the pathway was established, my family and I left the fair by God's grace in the same way we came as a family of six. The peace that we need, that we cry out for, the peace that this world needs and so desperately cries out for is far greater than a five-year-old needing to be reconciled with his family. It is a peace that was disrupted way back in the garden. And the way to it has been hidden by our sin and our darkness. But the good news of the gospel is that the way to peace with God has been revealed. It has been made clear. Peace has come again through Jesus Christ. The light to shine and to guide us to the pathway of peace. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Jesus Christ has come bringing peace with God for lost sinners. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you and we rejoice that you have made peace, that you have proclaimed it. The forgiveness of sins has been announced to us and it has been accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. Father God, may that give us joy this morning, even as we may not have peace in our own personal lives, in the lives of our family, and as we know in the lives of this world. 
But God, we have the peace that is lasting, the peace that is deep, that is fixed, that is meaningful. Peace with you because of Christ. May we rejoice in it. May we celebrate it even as we come to the table in a moment. And may we be faithful to proclaim it to a world wandering in darkness and sin, desperately longing and looking for peace in all the wrong places. Help us to be faithful. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.